Pushed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin, lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Le Beaujeu, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in English twice a month from your telephone into your ears. Everything you need to know about French football, Ligue 1, Le Championnat. And coming up in today's show, we've got a full review of the last two weeks of Ligue 1 football and the French clubs in Europe as well. We've got interviews with Strasbourg boss and former AS Cannes legend, Patrick Vieira may have also won the World Cup. We're going to hear from PSG midfielder Vitinha and give you the lowdown on another gem from the Monaco Academy, Sungutu Magasa. And of course, we're announcing who has won the OGC Nice Terra Moffi jersey, as well as giving you the chance to get your hands on a Kevin Danso Lance jersey in our quiz, Deja Who. So to help us decipher all this and more with me, Robbie Thompson, I'm very pleased to be joined by Ligue 1 commentator and AFP scribe, Andy Scott. Andy, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Robbie. Thanks for having me. Evening. Evening here in uh, the west of Australia, or perhaps good morning for, for others as well. It's only just clicked over into, into afternoon in France as well. And CBS Viacom's man on the ground in France, Jonathan Johnson. JJ, a pleasure as always. Thank you for your time. Hey there, guys. Great to be on with you and uh, looking forward to it. Don't forget, you can join the conversation on Twitter at Ligue 1 underscore ENG. You can like, subscribe, follow and recommend the podcast on all your podcast platforms and catch up with all the news, interviews, videos, everything, all the facts on League1.com. Well, like always, we're going to start with a review of the last two weeks of action. However, unfortunately, um, I think pretty much the last two rounds have been overshadowed by the events that took place with the very final match of the round this weekend. Um, really terrible, terrible scenes, the likes of which I can't remember having seen, um, where a, a, one of the actual members of staff or players have been injured on the way to the ground when uh, Olympic Lyonnais' coach was attacked just outside the Stade Velodrome by Marseille fans. Do we have to put allegedly in all this? I mean, we've seen the videos and, and everything else. It's pretty, pretty clear what's been happening. Um, Fabio Grosso uh, arrived at the stadium. Now, depending on which report you hear, um, the cause of it, but with a, a, a bad cut over his left eye that required 12 stitches Inside The match was called off. Um, we're going to sort of decipher and unpack everything that happened, or from our understanding of it at least, at this stage of what happened, but also ask the question, why does this happen? Why did it happen in France? Um, why did it happen at this game with these two sets of supporters as well? And what's going to happen? What can be the repercussions moving forward for this one? What I will say before opening it up to the guys is that this is not the first time we've had these incidents between these two clubs in this very fixture. Matthew Valbuena returning in 2015 was a, a, a big event that was a very turbulent and intense affair um, that even had an effigy of, of Matthew Valbuena hung from the, the Stade Velodrome stands when he left Marseille um, as something of a cult figure for, to join Olympic Lyonnais. In 2017, um, there was a full, you know, two teams emptying the bench and, and a fight at the full-time whistle between them where Anthony Lopez, Marcelo, um, Adil Rami or Campos were all involved. There were, there were long suspensions handed out for the players. There's no love lost between these two sides, I think is the, the best way to put it. But it is inexcusable, it is unacceptable that these tensions, this rivalry, um, which are so often considered positive terms for for a big football fixture, goes over the top, goes too far, transgresses all those lines that, that should be there. Andy, first of all, how did you experience what was happening, sitting down, ready to watch what was going to be the Olympico? It's a, I, I commentated yeah. this match in 2011 when it finished 5-5 and was the most incredible match that I've ever commentated in my life. 
and to go from something like that, such a great memory, to to recurring events like this, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on it. I mean, I, I think obviously the first thing I would say is that when 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 you talk about, I think there is a need to to have a discussion about why these things keep happening. I feel like maybe I'm not the best person to answer that question. You probably need a sociologist or you know, a real expert in, in, in issues in French society to, to, to explain why these things keep happening. What I can tell you as a, as a journalist covering French football is that these things do happen and they do keep happening. But n- despite that, you know, I, I came home yesterday evening having been, having been out in the afternoon and, of course, like an awful lot of people will have done, I, I put the television on, put um, Amazon Prime Video on, getting ready to watch the game. I was looking forward to watching the game. And the first thing I saw was, I think the, the, the strap line at the bottom of the screen was Olympico en suspens. And, and I was thinking, I don't understand what's happened here. What could have happened? And obviously, very quickly, it becomes clear that there has been an attack on the on the Leon team bus. We saw the images of Fabio Grosso's face. And there was that period of about half an hour where it's like, is this game going to go ahead? And then and then it, it doesn't go ahead. So clearly, from, from the point of view of me sitting in the situation last night as somebody just looking forward to watching the game, well... This is this is rubbish. The game's not happening, and that is that's kind of that's kind of a big problem for 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 the league, for the competition in general. If you have a big game which doesn't end up happening for whatever reason, whether it be weather or something else, and I think that I I always think my and I think I've said this on the podcast before because we've talked about you know incidents at games between Lyon and Marseille two years ago, Nice and Marseille two years ago, other matches as well. In, in, in lower divisions in France, where matches have been suspended, stopped for a long time, not started at all. Um, and what I always say is that it is, it's not a bad thing to have an element of, not hatred, but, a, but rivalry is, is a good thing. And it can, it can create, it can actually help create a better atmosphere in the sense that it can, you know, the, the two sets of fans are singing at each other and they, they, they really want their team to win. They also want the other team to lose. And it can really make things you know, create that kind of heated atmosphere, which can be great. It can be a fantastic backdrop for a game. It's what leads to, you know, you get the incredible choreography and stuff because Marseille desperately want to beat Lyon, but it can't cross a line, right? And I think that Adil Rami, who, of course, you know, was was amongst the clubs he played for, he played for Marseille. He was pitch side last night for for the broadcasters for um, on on French television. He actually he actually said something which was quite astute. He said, "Well, you know." Lyon are, are rivals, but that shouldn't make them enemies, you know, and that, that's, that is exactly the point. They've, they've crossed the line, and it's just, I mean, ultimately, it's shocking. You know, the, the, the images, the, the, the image of Fabio Grosso's face is simply shocking, and, you know, even if you are frustrated that the game didn't go ahead like I was, well, of course, you understand why the game didn't go ahead in, in, in those conditions, and it's, it is just, I mean, it's just, it's such a shame and it's something which French society needs to to get a grip on. It's not. It's clearly not just a football issue. Yeah, I think I think the you, you're absolutely right. It's a society issue. I actually think it's it's not really related to the to the sport or the rivalry between between the two clubs. It's a it it speaks more of these kids or these these men for the most part that that you know for whatever reason need to express themselves violently. Need to need to need to defend some sort of values that they hold dear. I mean, this is, this is an, an age-old problem with it. But the thing that gets me the most about it, um, JJ, is that they stop the thing that we're all there for. They stop the very game that, this is, that is part of this rivalry, that, is, that has created all this energy, that has given them this feeling of, of a family, of an identity, of something to aspire towards, of something to support. Which are all these admirable positive things, as 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 Andy was saying, and yet this causes the game to stop. And you know, ultimately, if this continues and goes to the millionth degree, there will be no game, or at least no fans to the game. And it's cutting off your nose to spite your face. I mean, it's it's lunacy when you look at it like that. You know, you just sort of look at. Um kind of what's happened during Marseille's season so far. It's not even the first incident that's involved, uh, you know, their fans. And, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sort of, you know, pick on them, but, you know, we, we know it's a fact that sort of fan pressure pushed out Marcelino as head coach and saw Gennaro Gattuso come in and replace him. Uh, you know, it's not even the first incident that we've seen involving fans, uh, you know, concerning Leon this season. You know, the Leon fans 
took the team's poor form uh, into their own hands and, you know, dressed down the players very publicly on the pitch, uh, you know, just a couple of months back, uh, you know, so, you know, there is, uh, you know, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, uh, you know, sort of all around many different parts of France at this moment in time. But, you know, every time there seems to be sort of an example of that, that sort of spills over into the footballing world at this moment in time. Uh, you know, it seems to to concern sort of one of these two clubs. I'm not saying that they're alone in that, uh, you know, because obviously there have been incidents, you know, in other, um, you know, other areas at, at other clubs. But sort of two of the most recent examples have been Marseille, have been, uh, you know, involving Lyon at this moment in time. And it is extremely frustrating because on the pitch, that's two of the biggest clubs, uh, you know, which, you know, in theory creates one of the best spectacles. Okay, we can sort of argue that, you know, given especially Leon's current form, it might not have been the the best spectacle that we've seen from previous Marseille and Leon games, certainly not to the degree of the the 5-5 that you enjoyed a few years ago, Robbie. But equally at the same time, uh, you know, this is a game that everybody, uh, you know, associated with French football looks forward to because it's two of the bigger clubs uh, you know, and for this to to suddenly be inaccessible because it doesn't get played, uh, you know, is a is a huge problem, and you know, it comes at a a critical time as well. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we all know that sort of the the league on uh, television rights are, are sort of up for uh, up up for renewal at this moment in time, and it doesn't help the image of the product and the game when you see stuff like this. That you know, there's no two ways about it. You know, you can't look at the front cover of L'Equipe, which was extremely shocking this Monday, with the picture of you know Fabio Grosso covered in blood, uh, and think that that's a good image for the league. It's you know, it's absolutely shocking and dreadful, and people. Uh, you know, outside of France will look at it and, you know, you know, wonder if this is sort of, you know, what French football is uh, is all about. They will have seen incidents in other games, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Dimitri Payet getting, you know, hit by a projectile, that sort of thing, uh, you know, and wonder if this is, you know, sort of how France allows, uh, you know, the games to, to be governed. But equally at the same time, there was a, a tweet from the local, uh, you know, police force regarding the game about how this match was an opportunity for the fans to show that, you know, they could both be at a game and, you know, behave in a civilized fashion at the same time, uh, you know, and it was a, a chance missed by them, uh, you know, and you, you spoke earlier about sort of wanting to have something to vent against Robbie, some of these, some of these people. And there's a lot of, ill feeling towards the way that football matches are policed and sort of handled and the fact that you're not allowed to have both sets of fans at, at games and it's been the case for a number of years so you have that frustration boiling up on one side you have sort of the societal issues which can be sort of removed on their own from football uh, you know but equally sort of combined with that feeling of frustration uh, you know and unfortunately it creates really unsavory um, incidents like these uh, you know, and it could end up costing French football dear because it, it is a terrible image to be, uh, you know, sort of projecting to to the rest of the footballing world. Well, I think I, I'm I'm not sure it's 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 so closely related to football. I think I think football just because it's so popular, the football is the number one sporting event. It's the it's the most money. It's the most eyes on television, and unfortunately, it's a great platform. You, you you allude to sort of societal issues. I mean, we had the France with the retirement, you know, the, the the new retirement age and the riots that followed that. We had we had issues after the the police violence um, towards towards a well killing a, a a young boy in the the Paris suburbs, which led to another outbreak of this rebellion within society. And I really believe that football is in that sense just a victim of its own success, a victim of this is a place where you can bring together 40,000 people. It's a platform to be manipulated, to be politicised, and we get, we get further and further away from the game itself. So let's bring it back to the game itself for, for a second um, because these two sides have been struggling. Marseille, in, after a brightish start to the season, have been struggling. Lyon have been struggling from the start of the season, and it's, and it's still the case. But Andy, what what do you think will be the ramifications of this on the football pitch, if you like, for the for these two sides? I mean, it happened outside the ground. Marseille will immediately be just putting their hands up and saying this is unacceptable, but it's not our fault. Olympic Lyonnais will be saying this is entirely unacceptable. We don't want to have to play in these conditions. 
We doubt very much we'll be able to come back and play at the Stad Velodrome, for example. There'll be all sorts of what can we envisage in the next few days as this all yeah. you know gets analysed and discussed. Well, I mean, I think I mean obviously it's it's lunchtime on Monday here now, and, and just in the last little while, I know that the public prosecutor in Marseille, for example, has been doing a press conference. He's been talking about a number of people who were arrested um, for throwing projectiles, things like that, and um, talking about how they're handling other incidents that that happened in and around yesterday's game, which didn't happen. Um, now, clearly, there will be consequences uh, in a in a in a legal sense for lots of people who were involved in in what happened. Whether that spills over onto the clubs is another issue. We saw Pablo Longoria, the Marseille president, who came out and spoke to um, to the broadcasters last night about his. I think he just said it was inadmissible, inadmissible over and over again because he was just shocked and, of course, deeply disappointed that this game wasn't happening. But clearly, he would have been confident that there would be no. Um, direct impact on the club because this incident happened outside the stadium there is only so much that you can do to control your fans or and i use that in the loosest possible term as well if they're if they're involved in incidents outside the stadium so this from that basis it's we don't know i mean what we do know is that the league said last night that this incident would be referred to their one of their own um committees which would make a decision on it and we just have to wait and see what they say i mean and we saw an incident at the Montpellier Clermont game a few weeks ago when um, when we we saw that firecracker thrown from the stand, which exploded right next to the Clermont goalkeeper Mori Dio. Montpellier were four two up at the time. There was lots of conjecture about what would happen. There are different possibilities. In the end, the league decided that that match would be replayed from the beginning, behind closed doors, and that Montpellier would have a point deducted. Now that's an incident that happened in the stadium. In this case, you would imagine that the game will go ahead. Uh, as it was supposed to, uh, another date. I'm not sure how the authorities could say this game has to take place on neutral turf. I mean, ultimately, Marseille are going to have to play games in the Velodrome. That's their own stadium. That's where their fans come. You can't punish 60-odd thousand people just like that. So, you know, at this moment in time, you would imagine the game will eventually be played from the beginning with fans in the stadium, in the Velodrome, and that there will be no direct uh, impact on the clubs involved in terms of points, in terms of sporting punishments or anything like that. But, as I touched on at the beginning, this is a matter that goes very deep into French society and big decisions will have to be taken. We've seen the sports minister talking about it this morning. It's a big it's a big topic in France today, unsurprisingly. So there may be, as a result, there may be consequences in a sporting sense. But, you know, the game was a victim of, of what happened. The game, the match, the spectacle was a victim of what happened this did not happen during the game in the stadium. So we wait, but Marseille and Lyon will not be expecting, I, I imagine, any any punishments as a result of this. Yeah, I think I think uh, the fact that there are victims, there seem to be only victims from from this situation. I mean, this is nobody wins um, in this sort of this sort of event. And and JJ, do you have anything to? To add to that moving forward, anything that, that Andy hasn't touched on that you think uh, we could envisage coming out of this? I mean, I think one thing that, you know, you do have to wonder, uh, you know, how far it, it might be off sort of on the horizon is potentially Marseille taking issues into their own hands. Because like I said earlier, it's not the first incident we've seen concerning them this season. You know, the club has gone on record in expressing uh, you know, some of the the tensions or describing some of the tensions with the, you know, the fans that sort of led to um, the the dismissal or, you know, Marcelino's exit from the club. And you do sort of wonder now if it's getting to a point where Marseille feel like certain groups of their fans are, you know, perhaps, you know, not trustworthy enough regarding, you know, some of these games that they have to take drastic measures. We have seen it. Okay, it's a long time in the past now. But before Qatar arrived in Paris, uh, you know, the, the Le Preux plan, as it was known, which basically got rid of all, uh, you know, sort of season ticket access to the stadium uh, in a bid to, to eradicate, uh, you know, the most problematic ultra, um, you know, behavior. Maybe that is something that Marseille, you know, at least start to consider, um, you know, because of the severity of an event like this. You know, it, it was bad. But it could have been uh, a lot worse, you know. Sort of the, the the push that led to PSG taking that drastic decision was, at the end of the day, a fatality. Somebody somebody dying. 
that hasn't happened just yet. But you know, for a, a head coach of a of a league on team to be sort of impacted and injured, hurt in the way that he was, you know, it suggests that it's only a matter of time unless you know really serious measures are taken. So you had you would have to imagine that that's at least something that is you know perhaps considered. Uh, you know, based on everything that has happened sort of in and around Stade Vélodrome, uh, you know, so far this season. And I, I, I would hate to see, uh, you know, a, a fantastic club like Marseille, uh, you know, that brings so much to Ligue 1 without, uh, you know, supporters, without that fervor uh, at Stade Vélodrome. But if this is the kind of thing that's going to keep happening and keep happening, you know, then something, you know, major changes are going to be needed to be made, uh, you know, uh, you know, by the club and hard decisions will need to be taken and perhaps you know maybe the threat of that potentially happening uh you know is what's needed to to wake up some of the fan base to be more responsible uh you know and to to sort of ensure that that sort of behavior doesn't uh you know happen in the future all right let's talk let's talk football then for the last two weeks andy um it might become something that we 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 come quite familiar with but nice one nil They've won the last two, one nil. They've conceded only four four goals all season um, in 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 their matches so far. In ten matches so far, Farioli's doing a wonderful job. Nice look like they're finally moving in the right direction. And one of those wins was a last minute win over Marseille, of course, uh, two weeks ago with Evan Gesson getting the winner. Yeah, um, I mean, the, one of the main questions that was being asked of Nice after the game on Friday was, you know, how long can you keep doing this? Because you're winning games 1-0. How, do you need to be scoring more goals? I think it's a recognition that they need to be scoring more goals because, you know, how far can they go playing this way with, with, with these performances? Are they really going to be qualifying for Europe, bearing in mind the competition beneath them? But I think that most successful teams begin with a, a solid defensive base, and Francesco Farioli has, has a remarkable success in that regard. I think, it, is it six clean sheets in seven or seven clean sheets in eight? And the one exception was the, the 3 2 win away to PSG. I mean, that's amazing, yep. you know, and, and that gives them something from which to build. Um, it's, not, it's not spectacular to watch, that's the, one of the problems. But it's been effective because not only have they got the results, but they've played against some good teams. I mean, PSG away, Monaco at home, Marseille at home. These are these are some of the best teams in the country. And I think also what's important in, in any league, in any country, is to get points on the board early, right? If you can start the season well, that sets you up. It means that if you go through a difficult period, then you've got the points there. You're going to bounce back from it. You're not going to be in a terrible position after that run. Inevitably, there will be a run where Nice don't get great results. Um, they've got a good squad. I don't think it's as good a squad as, as a lot of other teams. I think that I'm not suggesting they're in a, a false position, as it were, but I don't think they're going to stay there for too much longer. But, um, you know, I think that the, the foundations have been built by Farioli. He is living a honeymoon period because he's only 34. Remember, he's a young manager. He's coming to a new country um, and it's been a dream start for him. But I, I do suspect that there will come a point where they do lose a game and then they lose another game and they might get into a real sticky patch and that will see them drop down the table just a little bit. I think for now, things are going their way on Friday. They, they missed the penalty. They were maybe, there was a couple of moments where they were maybe a little bit lucky and they were playing against, let's be honest, one of the worst teams in the division. So, you know, I, I think we need to be measured about what we say about Nice. I think it's going really well for them just now. They're not going to keep on winning games 1-0 every single week. One of the worst teams in the division in Clermont Foot, but who did beat Olympic Lyonnais in round nine? Quite amazingly, JJ Paris Saint Germain. Um, we spoke the last podcast after that defeat in the Champions League to Newcastle as well. We're going to chat European football in a moment, so we won't touch on 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 what they've been doing on the continent since then. But back to back wins in Ligue 1, a big win over Strasbourg. Um, where Kylian Mbappe broke his drought, got back to, to scoring ways. There was some nice football there. And again, now 3-2 away to Brest in a match that they made a little bit more difficult for themselves. And Kylian Mbappe managed to... Uh, he's never far from the news at the moment, is he? He's, n- he's not scoring. We're worried. He is scoring, but he makes a little sign to the fans um, of Brest that they didn't really appreciate. Um, he missed a penalty, but scored from the rebound to win the match in the final moments. Um, how are you seeing PSG's progress? Because they've only lost once to undefeated Nice, as Andy said, and they're just a point behind now in second place. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they have they've they've continued to make progress. I think their return from the international break has been uh, you know, much better than the last one because let's not forget that the Nice defeat came immediately after one of the international breaks and I think Luis Enrique has maybe learned how to um, you know, better deal with the 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 issue of squad depth and sort of when to rotate. Uh, you know, obviously knew not to, uh, you know, rest Kylian Mbappe going into that big uh, European clash with Milan, uh, you know, and got the, you know, got got the reward with a, a goal and an assist, uh, you know, in what was maybe not the most convincing of performances, but, uh, you know, PSG coming away from a, a difficult run of games off the back of the internationals with, with three victories. So, uh, you know, I think it is, you know, things are starting to, to take shape a little bit. Luis Enrique himself seems to have learned from, you know, the lesson of that harsh defeat uh, against Newcastle in Europe. Uh, you know, and I think as well, sort of on the Mbappe topic, you know, in Brest, I think PSG maybe got a little ahead of themselves because obviously Brest have enjoyed a very good season so far, surprise package of Ligue 1 by far and away over the, the first rounds of games. And I think when PSG found themselves 2-0 up, they, you know, are probably asking, you know, sort of, you know, what's what's all the fuss about? You know, uh, Brest have been getting themselves up into a very good position and, you know, suddenly we're, uh, uh, you know, we're still on Champions League form and we've built ourselves up a nice lead and then obviously Brest come back into the game. And I think, you know, instead of being outraged at Mbappe, perhaps the Brest fans could maybe take it as a sign of sort of acceptance, recognition that they're actually, you know, part of the competition so far this season that Mbappe would get sort of worked up into, you know, that that sort of competitor mode that, you know, we all know produces sort of his best, best performances usually, uh, you know, and, and sort of treats them with the same... Uh, you know, kind of attitude that he would, uh, you know, a, a Champions League opponent, for example, you know, there, there were obviously high stakes, uh, you know, getting to towards the final few minutes in the game and then, you know, getting the, the winning goal. So, you know, I think there's a number of different ways it can be interpreted. It doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, assumed to be offensive and, and targeted solely at Brest. I think, you know, Mbappe and PSG are kind of in competitive mode at the moment. And as, as long as they remain second in the table and not top, uh, you know, I think we will probably see that, uh, you know, see that continue. But, uh, you know, it's difficult to talk about PSG at this moment in time and not talk about Warren Zaya Emery and this explosion of, you know, one of Ligue most phenomenal talents. You know, just the, the last couple of weeks alone, uh, you know, he seems to have really taken on a, a different level of maturity and consistency in his performances. Uh, you know, and it's exciting times because we're already discussing the possibility of maybe seeing him representing France at senior level and he's yet to even turn 18. Yeah, he certainly is on fire at the moment. Fantastic goal to open the scoring against Brest at the weekend. Andy, Monaco could have gone top. Um, they suffered what was their second defeat of the season at the weekend away to Lille. They're now just a couple of points ahead of Lille as well. So, I'd like to start with Lamine Camera's amazing goal two weeks ago against Monaco. There they managed to come back, but talk about a young kid. Was that his first goal or in Ligue 1? But uh, from 55 metres out, just an absolutely stunning goal away to Monaco. Um, and then Alexander Golovin showed all his class by getting two wonderful goals as well to, to win that one for Monaco. You got the feeling that Monaco are real contenders. And then... All of a sudden, Lille are on the charge and Lille knocked them off 2-0. Eden Zegrova is in stunning form at the moment. And uh, suddenly, Lille uh, are climbing, putting the, the pressure on for that top three position at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it kind of comes back to sort of what I was saying about Nice, is that these things kind of balance themselves out. I mean, I thought Lille were excellent last season under Paulo Fonseca and they had a Ever so slightly shaky start to this season. Not a, not a terrible start, but not a brilliant start. And they've started picking up results now. I think it's, you know, over the last couple of months, I think they've only lost once at home to Rance in, in, in all competitions. So they all, they've been very good at home for a long time. So that's a difficult game for Monaco to go to. Not really a surprise that Lille won it. And I think it just shows, you know, that we, we can't get too carried away with anybody. I mean, Monaco had a great start to the season. Adi Hutter clearly had had... Sort of found found the key to liberating them, to making them really exciting to watch. But you know they lost at home to Nice. They've lost away to Lille, and I think that a lot of these teams, it's difficult to find one stand outside. As long as Paris Saint Germain are not running away with it, if they're dropping the odd point, it keeps everything interesting. I think other teams will continue to drop points against one another, and and I think that 
it's, for me, it was always difficult to say that Monaco might be title contenders or anything like that. Clearly, the likes of Monaco and Lille are teams that can be competing for Champions League qualification. Beyond that, to say that they're potential league champions, I think, is another issue. And, and of course, it's still relatively early in the season to be talking about that. But it all, it all suggests that it's it's shaping up to be maybe quite a close season. Certainly, everybody can beat everybody else on their day. And, and that makes it, you know, we talk about the, 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 the damage to the product of the incidents in Marseille. But I think on the field, when the games do take place, there's, there's lots of really entertaining football in France at, at the moment. And that's been the case for a while now. And, and that's great. Final talking point from the last two weeks then, JJ. Uh, are two sides sitting on 12 points. One of them is hitting their stride now at last, Racing Club de Lens, after a slow start for them. Another is starting to go backwards, and that's uh, Rennes, who are, they're both sitting on 12 points. Rennes in eighth place, Lens in 10th, either side of, of Marseille, who probably have a game in hand, even though we're not really sure how that's going to play out at this stage. But... But how are you seeing Wren at the moment and what's what's going wrong there? I mean, we know Wren have European football this season and they're doing okay. So so what's going wrong in Ligue 1? It's a good question. I mean, on the one hand, it is great to see Lens getting sort of back up into that position in the table because, uh, you know, it did feel like their start to the season was perhaps unnecessarily bad. But the, the issue, I think, with Wren... Um, sort of certainly as far as uh, as I could see since the beginning of the season, there's just been this inability to actually put games to bed. I mean, they've drawn so many matches. Uh, you know, they rarely lose, only lost two, um, although one of those, you know, did come against PSG at home, uh, who they normally have a very good record against. But, you know, you look at the fact that they've only won two games uh, and they're in the top half of the table. That's the the lowest return of any uh, of the the teams in the in the top nine as it is now with the eighteen team league, so yeah, and until they start finding that sort of uh, you know killer mentality in the games to actually put you know teams to the sword, uh, you know I think that Ren will continue to sort of flounder in mid table because they are one of the stronger sides in league, and so they are always going to be difficult to beat. But if they can't actually you know get the the wins on the board, uh, you know they're going to keep falling behind in this race for Europe and. It's, it's difficult to sort of pinpoint just one player's injury as, uh, you know, a, a catalyst for, you know, sort of a bit of underwhelming form. But it does kind of feel like if Martin Terrier can get back to the best form that we know he is capable of and we've seen from him, like after that, uh, you know, very lengthy layoff through injury, he could really be the difference maker for Ren, uh, you know, leading into sort of the, the Christmas break. You know, he's already come back onto the pitch a couple of times. Uh, and potentially over the second half of the season, because it's not too late for Ren to sort of catch up and get themselves back into the reckoning in Europe. But the longer that they continue to draw these games uh, and not put teams to bed, especially the teams below them in the ranking, you know, that's absolutely vital. And you you look at what happened against Strasbourg, the the goal that uh, Motiba equalised with, you know, it's palmed down, he taps it in. Okay, Strasbourg were a little unlucky against PSG the week before. So we'll take that, uh, you know, that lucky break. But that's the kind of thing that, that Ren need to be, uh, you know, sort of avoiding. Fantastic goal by uh, by Truffert to, to open the scoring. But all in vain when you concede, uh, you know, what from a Ren point of view will be considered a very soft goal. All right, time to turn our attentions to a European roundup then. I think we'll save our PSG chat to... Uh, the next episode in Europe to see just whether they are really ready to serve up that uh, cold dish of revenge to Newcastle United because uh, after what happened at St James's Park, I suspect a lot of people were thinking this is the end of, of PSG in Europe for another year. Could yet be proved to be the end of Newcastle United at the Parc des Princes for this season back uh, at, at Europe's top table. So let's just wait and see about that one. Lens... Um, after that win over Arsenal, have drawn with Seville, Sevilla and PSV Eindhoven as well. Marseille got a big 3-1 victory in the Europa League um, over Ajax Athens, um, bouncing back from that loss to Nice. Vitinha with the goal. So Gattuso is uh, maybe starting to turn things around there. They are top of Group B, a point clear of AEK um, and Brighton and three clear of an Ajax side who have just appointed former Melbourne Heart coach Johnny Van Schip, uh, that's a little bit uh, facetious, perhaps Dutch legend, of course, and used to play alongside Marco Van Basten at Ajax and 
probably a Euro 88 winner, I'd say, Johnny Van Schip, but no, I'm not, I'd say he was. Um, Toulouse were beaten and soundly beaten by Liverpool at Anfield. They sit third in Group E, but still plenty to play for in that group as well with Union Saint-Gilloise there too. Ren, Guri and Kalimwendo were on target as they beat Panathinaikos by two goals to one in Greece, their top of Group F. And Lille came from behind to defeat Slovan Bratislava by two goals to one. They're undefeated and top of Group A in the Conference League as well. Very quickly, gentlemen, Andy, uh, France, a few sides doing very well in Europe. This is something we're, we've, we've come to, to crave from the league on sides. Finally, it looks like it's early days. We're halfway through the group stages. But they're delivering. Perhaps that uh, top five status will soon be uh, returned. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that Lost deserve a lot of credit for what they're doing in the Champions League, unbeaten in, in three games and in quite a strong position to qualify. I think that PSG, I was at the Parc des Princes on, on Wednesday night, I thought they were I thought they were impressive. I think some people maybe were less impressed. I think that Milan were very poor in that game, but PSG laid down, you know, it was a bit of a statement from them, so this is, you know, we're, we're going to bounce back from the Newcastle defeat. And of course, as, as JJ touched on before, Warren Zaire Emery was, was exceptional in that game. Uh, in particular, um, and then I was I was in Marseille on Thursday for the AK Athens match, and I was, uh, you know, it was it was entertaining, and as their Europa League games have been this season, and they've done they've done okay. I mean, they've got four points from two home games. They've set themselves up in one is a tricky group to go on and qualify. I think as long as they beat Ajax at home, which they should be doing at the moment, and as long as they avoid defeat away to AEK, that might just about do them. Uh, Marseille need to be progressing in that competition. Ren quietly getting a good result. So I think, you know, the the, the outlook is, is a lot better. I think it was always going to be hard for Toulouse in that game against Liverpool. But, you know, we, we, we have to say that the, the big boys delivered last week, your PSGs and your Marseilles, stepped up, got good results at home. Um, the backdrop is always that French football standing in the, in the, in the UEFA um, table, if you want to call it that. The coefficient ranking is, is, is not perhaps been what it should be. So there is this pressure being applied by the media, but, Results have been have been fine. It's still early days. It's it's the midway stage in, in the group stage of these competitions, and maybe another day we can discuss of the positive impact or not of the fact that clubs are not having to play league cup ties or or midweek league on games, and they're able to 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 get a little bit more rest and recovery into these matches. And I think one other thing I would say is that yes, coming back to Marseille, Vitinha's performance was was the big talking point from that game because he was given the chance ahead of Aubameyang in the starting lineup and 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 he he took it with a, a nice finish and then winning the penalty as well provoking the red card which really changed the game and the question is now is he going to become more of a serious option in that starting lineup because he hadn't scored a goal for two months he gets the goal last night and and we're still waiting for him to really kick on been a lot of money for him in January is this going to be the moment where he really kicks on and starts scoring more regularly for for Marseille which is what they need while well, you're listening to Andy Scott Jonathan Johnson and myself, Robbie Thompson, talking about all the weekend's action or the month's action in France. And uh, now it's time to go from one Vitinha, perhaps, to another. Paris Saint-Germain's Portuguese midfielder, Vitinha. He, um, I thought he made a great start to life in France last season, playing regularly alongside Marco Verratti. But then he did go off the boil. There was something not quite right. It was a, became... Perhaps not just a Vitinha problem, but a Paris Saint-Germain problem in the second half of last season. But Luis Enrique has come. He's offered him, uh, JJ, a new tactical challenge, I think, by playing him in a completely different position a lot of the time um, from what we've become accustomed to seeing him last season and and in the rest of his career. But uh, we caught up with him and Jonathan Johnson is going to tell us a little bit more about PSG's Vitinha. After a sluggish start to the 2023-24 season in terms of results, Luis Enrique's Paddy Saint-Germain side are climbing the league on table. Now second behind unbeaten Nice after Monaco's slip-up over the weekend, the French champions will be targeting top spot before the November international break. Back on top of Champions League Group F as well, after blowing Milan away 3-0 at Parc des Princes, Vitinha has been an unsung hero so far this campaign. Portuguese midfielder was one of the standout performers against the Italian giants and put in a shift which France under-21 boss Thierry Henry recognised for its selflessness to free Kylian Mbappe. 
It's not always been easy for Vitinha, though, who struggled badly over the second half of the 2022-23 term under Christoph Geltier and had a night to forget away at Bayern Munich. Sometimes you have good days, sometimes you don't. Uh, sometimes the, um, it all fits together, it all fits with you. Sometimes you don't, but you have to keep on working. You have to, to shut up and keep on working. That's what I've been doing. That's what I'm always going to do. Vitinha has one goal and one assist so far this season with his beautiful effort opening the scoring in a 3-1 win away at Rennes just before the October internationals, although not always enjoying the plaudits that the likes of Warren Zaya, Emery and Manuel Ugarte have so far. Portugal international is trying to add more goals to his game. I really think that two goals that I made last year, it's, uh, it's short. I, I need to do more, that to, will come. But it's important to have that on my head because, because uh, nowadays in the modern football, midfielders have to score as well, even defenders have to score as well. So if I add that to my game, if I score a little bit more, that will help me and uh, our team. Still just 23, Vitinha came through the ranks with Portuguese giants Porto from the age of 11 and won two league and cup doubles under former Nantes boss Sergio Conceição. Following in his father Vitor Manuel's footsteps as a player, Vitinha caught the eye at youth level with the UEFA Youth League title and also spent a year on loan with Wolverhampton Wanderers. His diminutive size and stature have drawn parallels with the likes of Barcelona and Spain great Andres Iniesta. For me, it's obvious. If you are smaller, if you are not strong, you have to have another qualities. You have to think faster because they will arrive. You have to, to be smarter. If you're growing up and you don't have the strength to beat, to, to duel with the, with the opponent, you have to create something else. And if you move the ball away from them, you have more space to think, to play. And that's, that's evolution. You, you're doing that in 15 years, 16, 14. Then you came, you became better at that. And it's, uh, it's a very, um, a very important thing to have, even if you have physicality. It's a very important thing to have. Vitinha is not the only one to have benefited from PSG's extensive overhaul in the summer of 2023, but the change between Christophe Galtier's time in charge and Luis Enrique's early days has been clear for all to see. Portuguese creator plays like a freed man on the pitch, which makes a massive change from his struggles over the latter half of 22-23. It's been great, it's been great. Uh, it's a new energy, it's a new... Um... It's a little bit of cliche, but it's a, a breath of uh, fresh air, you know. Uh, we enjoy ourselves and we play good football. PSG head coach Luis Enrique's style is a perfect fit for Vitinha, who is coming into his own under the Spaniard, who coached not only a memorable Barcelona side to Champions League glory back in 2015, but also a youthful national team after a distinguished playing career. The Portuguese has formed part of the first choice midfield three, alongside Zaire Emery and Ugarte. Keep the possession, it's the main, the main thing. If you, if you have the ball, you're closer to score. If you don't have the ball, they are closer to score. So if you have the ball, they can score. Vitinha has matured remarkably quickly and his international rise has seen him go from Toulon's breakout tournament star of 2019 to a UEFA European Under-19 and Under-21 Championship runner-up. Now a senior international with the 2022 World Cup under his belt, we should see him at Euro 2024 next summer after what could yet be a very successful season in Paris. Well, AS Monaco are doing a great job at the moment despite their recent loss to Lille. They're doing it with uh, a new coach in Adi Hutta, uh, the Austrian. They're also bringing through a lot of young players um, that are really catching the eye at the moment. The most recent of them, France Under-21 star, Sungutu Magasa, he's turning heads both for club and country already. The versatile holding midfielder or defender sat down for a chat with our very own Luke Entwistle. Alongside Magnus Akliush, Sungutu Magasa is another academy product that's broken into the first team setup at Ata Monaco this season. Adi Hutterside remained top of the league out following a victory over Mets. And whilst Magasa was absent from that victory due to suspension, he has been a mainstay in Monaco's defence so far this season. I caught up with Magasa early this week, and the Frenchman admitted he was surprised by the prominent role that he'd played so far this campaign. Magasa, by trade, is a defensive midfielder, but he's profited from multiple absences to make him, himself a home at the heart of Monaco's defence. 
I expected game time, but not as much as this, Megasta told me earlier this week. He added that he didn't expect to pierce into this side as a centre-back, a position where he's used to filling in, but not used to playing full matches. His breakout could and perhaps should have come sooner. Following an early red card from Yusuf Fafana against Rent at the start of last season, Magasa came on and impressed in his more familiar number six role. However, that performance did not prove to be a launchpad. I thought I'd get my chance after the Ren game, but that didn't happen. And my next match was six, six months later to Magasa, who added, there was a bit of disappointment in that time. Whilst Magasa found himself on the periphery under former manager Philippe Clement, he is central to Hutter's plans. Whilst the Frenchman sought to avoid comparisons to the previous incumbent of the left centre-back position, Benoit Badiachil, now of Chelsea, there are certainly stylistic similarities between the two players. Magasa is aggressive in pushing into the midfield, is committed in the duels, and as you would expect of a midfielder, is calm on the ball and displays a good range of passing. And that form this season has not gone unnoticed. Magasa recently got his call to Thierry Henry's Espoir, and his inclusion in the France under-21 side saw Magasa reunited with Henri, whom he knows from his time at Monaco. I spoke with him when I was in the academy on multiple occasions, as he's very close with the young players, and I'm very proud to be with him again with the Espoir, Magasa told me. Of course, Henri, a former legend and a, a continued legend at AS Monaco, both as a player and as a manager. During the international break, Magasa was once again deployed in defence, this time in an even more unfamiliar back four. But perhaps it is in this unfamiliar role that Magasa's future lies, both for club and for country. Having returned to the Principality Club, Magasa is now looking, looking to continue his form and keep Monaco atop the tree. Prior to the season, the club set its sights on achieving European football, and despite their league standing, neither Magasa nor Monaco are getting carried away. The road is long, our objective is Europe, but we're not limiting ourselves to Magasa. Based on performances so far, Magasa and Monaco can certainly allow themselves to be ambitious this season and beyond. Don't forget to join in the conversation at League One underscore ENG for English on Twitter or X as it's known now. And of course, like, subscribe, follow and recommend. Tell your friends about us on all your favourite podcast platforms. Now it's time for that segment where you, the listeners, raid your memory banks of French football, engage in a brute force attack on the internet to try and make sense of these cryptic clues that I'm going to give you to identify a Ligue 1 player, past or present. That's right, it's the world's leading and only Ligue 1 Uber Eats quiz in English. Deja vu! Don't worry, it's not all hard work. If you get the answer right, you go into the running for a jersey. Speaking of which, the October winner of our Terra Moffi jersey is going to be announced on today's pod. But first of all, the answers for our last two episodes. First up, it was Nigerian legend John Utaka, who, along with Olivier Giroud, helped Montpellier to the title in 2012. And you can download our Ligue 1 Legends segment on that dramatic title win, if you missed it, from uh, our professor, history professor, Andreas Evagora. Um, and John Utaka is now part of the coaching staff at Montpellier as well. The second answer for October was another Nigerian, Taribo West, who made his name with Auxerre. In the mid-1990s, lighting up Ligue 1, he did a Ligue 1 Cup double with those green braids in his hair before heading to Italian football with Inter in 1997. And if you're wondering what Mr. West is now up to, it's no longer Mr. He's a pastor, having founded, not lacking in ambition, his very own church. And it's called The Shelter in the Storm Miracle Ministries of All Nation. Quite the mouthful in Lagos. That was after he hung up his boots in 2007. Our winner of the Nice shirt is Rowan Perrior, who, fittingly, is a Nice fan from England. We trust he will enjoy sporting his brand-new Terra Moffi jersey, especially as Nice are sitting top of the Ligue 1 Uber Eats standings at the moment. Congratulations, Rowan. We'll be in touch shortly to get that shirt out to you. And now then, for this week's question... The first of two for November, a month in which we will be giving away Kevin Danzo's jersey from Lens. Here goes. Who am I? My father was an academy coach at a professional club in France where me and my brother 
both began our youth careers and where my uncle also played. At 17, I moved south to another youth academy and at 19, I made my Ligue 1 debut before I'd even signed a professional contract. The following year, my first full Ligue 1 season, I helped my club to qualify for the Europa League and was nominated for Ligue 1 Young Player of the Year. A change of France national team coach then saw me earn my first international cap and that was followed by a move across the channel where I played for two different teams, losing an FA Cup final and picking up one club player of the year award. Another move to another country saw me play a starring role in winning the Europa League and also making a Champions League semi-final. I'm still playing. Who am I? So if you have it or simply think you might have it, send your answers to League 1 Podcast, League 1 Podcast at gmail.com. Drop us an email with who you think uh, it is, this mystery player, and you can go into the running for that Kevin Danzo Lance jersey. So after coaching OGC Nice between June 2018 and December 2020, legendary France and Arsenal midfielder Patrick Vieira is back again in Ligue 1 this time with the ambitious project helmed by Strasbourg President Mark Keller, the 1998 World Cup and Euro 2000 winner, famously one of Arsenal's invincibles from that 2003-04 season, sat down for a chat about his return to France and what he and Keller are cooking over in the east of France. Andy Scott has more. Patrick Vieira's return to Ligue 1, I think, has been one of the most interesting stories to follow uh, in, in French football this season. Obviously, he's he's a huge figure in the French game, having been part of that, that World Cup winning team uh, 25 years ago now. Um, and at his age, I mean, we think of him as a young coach in some respects, but he is now 47. He's accumulated quite a lot of experience. And you look at what he did previously um, obviously working in the States. I think he did quite well at New York City FC. And then he came to Nice. He took them into Europe. He did some good work at Crystal Palace. And I think he feels this is the, the next step in his managerial career. He feels that it's the right environment to come into, to take a club forward. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he does there. I mean, Mark Keller is um, somebody who Vieira credits with, with being really important, obviously, in him making this decision to go to the Stade de la Meno. Keller was a teammate of his with the French national team. I think maybe the only time that Keller ever played for Les Bleus. And they knew each other as well from, from England because Keller was playing for West Ham while um, Vieira was at Arsenal. So Vieira says in the interview that they'd always kept in touch and that Mark Keller had a big impact on his decision. And uh, it was just an opportunity for him to come back and have the smell of the grass, I think is what he says. He, he loves to be a manager. And um, he, he finds that he's, he's, a, he's a calmer figure than he was when he was a player, which I find really fascinating. So, you know, he says in the interview that it's, it was the right project for him, um, albeit coming into a young team. And I think it's, uh, he clearly feels it's a chance for him to take a big club and take them to the next level, but also for him to take the next step in his own managerial career. I am um, really pleased um, to come back in France uh, after my last experience with um, Le Nice. And um, I was looking forward to, um, to the project that I can express myself as a, as a manager. I wanted to come back in the game. I didn't really um, thought a lot about which league to go for. But obviously when Strasbourg came, I think it was uh, the right project at the right time for me to express myself as a manager. The way that this club grow in the last 10 years been phenomenal. This is why you can see a lot of work around the training facility, around the stadium. The clubs went from one level to the next one with not having the time to build uh, the facilities to sustain the League One demand. And uh, there's a lot of work around and that's just show what this football club will be in the next couple of years. And uh, we just have to be a little bit more patient with the group of players that we have, with the football club putting in place all what you need to grow and to grow the brand of Strasbourg. Obviously, the main theme about Strasbourg this season, we talk about them, is the fact that they were bought out by Blue Coat, who are the owners of Chelsea. Um, that was back in June. So in the close season, it made it quite a, a turbulent close season. People looked at 
Strasbourg and thought this is an interesting project. Obviously, doubts about maybe their identity. Some supporters have not been entirely um, won over by the idea of having the same owners as, let's be honest, a bigger club in 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 the Premier League, this huge league just across the, the channel. And so, questions about the identity are there, and Patrick Vieira is having to defend really what Strasbourg are doing. But I think one of the, the the key things here is that this is a, a team which is, as he says, in a new cycle. And if you think back to the Strasbourg team, which finished sixth in the 2021-22 season, very close to qualifying for Europe. If you look at the, the, the key players from that team, a lot of them have departed. Indeed, if you look at the spine of the team from last season, if you take out Matt Sells, the goalkeeper, who is still there. You have Alexander Jiku, really important central defender, who departed. You have Abib Diallo, who was the main goal scorer. And he was sold. I mean, he was expected to be sold, but his departure was always going to be hard to replace. And then, not even on the eve of the season, but once the season had already started, they lost Jean-Ric Nerbelgaard's inspirational presence in the midfield, great set pieces, you know, driving force in that team. They lost him as well, sold to, to Wolves in England. And so they've lost key players. I mean, you know, you go back to the season before that, and the, the list is longer. Guys like Ajorque, Thomason, Cassie leaving as well. They're having to rebuild, and they're very deliberately um, putting their faith in young players. The average age of the squad has come down quite drastically. And therefore, as Vieira says, when you sign young players, it's it's not just that you are bringing in young players who who don't have, you know, they ultimately they, have, they don't have the experience and because they're younger, but also the players that Strasbourg are signing are players who don't have that experience of, of, of the Liga. The guys who maybe come in from Bordeaux in the second division, for example, or Angelo Gabriel, very raw young talent brought over from Brazil via Chelsea. And so they're having to develop, Vieira's having to develop this team, make them competitive in a really competitive league with all these young players. And ultimately the results have not really been there yet. And they've lost four games in a row before Sunday's match at Rennes, which they came back to, to draw 1-1. They've had just one win in seven. That was a 1-0 victory at Mess, a game which I commentated and have to say they were not especially convincing. So they have a lot of work to do. Just nine goals scored uh, so far. Only the bottom three have scored fewer. But ultimately, Patrick Vieira insists that it's down to youth and that means it's going to take time. You know, sometimes people forget what and where the club were last year. We start the pre-season with losing some key players and we lost in total seven players who are quite really important and were really important for this football club and we replaced them with talent young players but not just with the age but young with the experience in league one and people forget that and the only focus that people have at the moment is about Chelsea are owning Strasbourg so when we're talking about Chelsea we're talking about success we're talking about winning the League One. We are far away from that. We are in a new cycle. So it's important to really understand who we are and where we are today. And Vieira has come into this environment at Strasbourg in what he acknowledges is a harder league than when he managed at Nice. I mean, it's nearly three years now since he left Nice. I said he took them into Europe in his second season there and then difficult start to the following season cost him his job and now he feels that the league has become harder not just because there are more teams ultimately who are there competing there's more perhaps investment there are more quality players spread around the league and also the simple fact that there are two fewer teams in the league which means that if you're looking over your shoulder there's more of a danger that you're going to get sucked into trouble at the bottom so he is conscious of the greater challenges now um, for competing in, in the French top flight? I think um, having two less teams in the league make it even more competitive now. Anybody can beat anybody, but you've seen teams like Monaco who spend big money, quality squad, and uh, they are reducing the gap between them and Paris Saint-Germain. And of course, you still have Paris Saint-Germain uh, at, at, at the top, but I would say the French league became more competitive than ever this year. Yeah, there is more teams that can win games away from home, teams that are physically really strong, tactically well organized, and teams who have players who can make any difference at any time during the game. So there's a lot of lot of good teams in France. 
Okay, gentlemen, time to look ahead to the next two weeks then, our final uh, segment in this once again lengthy podcast, as it always is. There's always so much to talk about when it comes to league and football, and we know uh, you at home love hearing the latest and the inside line from our experts today, Andy Scott, league and commentator. You would have heard him on the World Feed and also works for AFP, and Jonathan Johnson, of course, who you'll see his articles popping up all over the place. So let's have a look. We've got two rounds coming up in the next two weeks, rounds 11 and 12. It all gets started on Friday night, this Friday, when PSG take on Montpellier. Um, We've got Marseille against Lille as well. So Marseille definitely looking to stop the slide in the league and a lot going on at the club. Same can be said for Olympic Lyonnais, um, who take on FC Metz. And that match has a little bit of history as well. We remember... Anthony Lopez getting hit by a firecracker Montpellier style uh, a couple of years ago as well. Monaco need to bounce back at Brest. Nice are up against Rennes as well. Rennes, another side that we know have the quality um, against a Nice side, undefeated and top of the table. And then in two weeks' time, the big games keep coming. Montpellier against Nice, Reims PSG, Monaco on the road to uh, promoted Luav, Luav, who are doing a pretty, making a pretty good fist of their return to the top flight after 15 years as well. Ren Leon for the for the nostalgic amongst us that remember the early noughties when Ren were about the only side that could ever seem to knock off Olympic Lyonnais uh, consistently at any rate. And then Lens versus Marseille, so two clubs that have been in the news, being involved in big matches coming up. Um, JJ, you first in round 11. What catches your eye and what do you uh, expect to come from, you know, from a, a full round of fixtures? Well, to be honest, looking ahead to sort of both rounds of games, I'm really curious to see how Ren fare because they've got two very interesting matchups. One, you've got them up against Nice, who, you know, on paper, that could be the tricky game that Andy was alluding to earlier where Nice finally come unstuck because we know that Ren on any given day can beat any pretty much anybody in uh, Ligue 1. And they need to start turning those draws into victories. So perhaps, uh, you know, that battle of the two teams in red and black, uh, you know, will finally see Nice fall and uh, that un- unbeaten record, uh, you know, put to uh, put to an end for the season. And also, if Ren don't win that game, I like the look of their their second game because that is, you know, a potentially very tricky one against Leon Bruno Genesio going up against his former club who would dearly love to take points off of uh, off of him and uh, Ren as they try to get themselves out of the, the the mess that they're in at the bottom of the table. So I'm going to be keeping my eye on Ren for these next two rounds of games, I think. Andy, what about you looking ahead to these uh, next two rounds of action coming up where, you know, we've got an, an undefeated Nice at the top, but at the other end of the table, we've got a, a, a few clubs who are really starting to struggle now. And I say that because, you know, we don't expect to see Nice or, you know, Reims up there at the top come the end of the season necessarily. We don't. We still find it difficult to understand that Olympic Lyonnais are without a win and at the bottom of the table. And I yeah. saw a, an interesting thing like a Lyon fan's worst nightmare is being relegated in the season where Saint-Étienne could be promoted yeah. back from, from Ligue 2 as well. You talk about rivalries. Um, yeah. That's a very passionate one, and that would be just... Just about too much for any Olympic Lyonnais fan to bear. <laughs> but my point about the, the the trends that we're seeing in the league table and surprises, both negative and positive, is that after these next two rounds of matches, we're going to be a third of the way through the season. And that's not nothing. A third of the way through the season means that, you know, it's time to put the money where the mouth is. Time flies. Time goes too quickly, you know. Um but yeah, obviously the season's a bit shorter nowadays with just an 18-team league. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you look at the next couple of rounds, you could argue that the, the standout fixture might be Rans against PSG because Rans are, are quite an entertaining team to watch. They've got some good results already again this season under Will Still, and they might be quite capable of giving PSG a game. PSG have come unstuck there a couple of times in the Qatar era. Um, so that could be a game to watch. But I think in terms of two clubs to look out for, we've talked about Marseille and Lyon. Um, Marseille have got two really big games. Lille at home and Lens away. Really interesting. Lille are, are sort of coming back up the table. Lens are on a resurgence as well. So it's going to be really fascinating to see because this is an important stage for Marseille with Gennaro Gattuso still kind of settling in. He's had a couple of wins, but it's still early days for him. They need to start climbing the table too. So 
I think we'll have a really good idea of where they stand after these games. And in the case of Lyon, I think their game coming up is it, is it this weekend that they play Mess at home? Mess, yeah. massive. I mean, They're already six in, beh- six points behind Mess already. Yeah, and and Lyon, we're going to be into November, and Lyon will not have won a, a league game, which is absolutely incredible. Um, Fabio Grosso was the victim of of a terrible incident in the in Marseille last night, but. This comes at a time when there are big question marks about whether he is actually the man to lead Lyon out of the state in which they're in. We haven't actually touched on the, the problems behind the scenes at Lyon over the last couple of weeks. Talk about a mole in the dressing room leaking things to the press and Grosso reportedly you know, going out looking for this mole, saying, you know, reveal yourself and then cancelling a training session. This has all been built up to be something perhaps bigger than it really is. But the bottom line is that without, even without what happened last night, Lyon are in the depths of a terrible crisis. And this game against Mess is one they really need to win because Mess, I've seen a couple of times, I don't think they're up to much, to be honest with you. They've not, they, they've, they went four straight defeats before getting a draw yesterday. I think if Leon can't win that game off the back of losing at home to Clermont, then they really, maybe even John Texter will have to come out and admit that they are in a relegation dogfight because he famously, a week ago after the Clermont defeat, said, no, we're not going to go down. You know, they really might, and this this is this is getting serious for them. So I think that is really one to look out for next weekend. But yeah, there are plenty of games to, to keep an eye on at both ends of the table, that's for sure. Just a little update as well on Stade de Reims, because Will still was sent off uh, in their 1-0 victory at the weekend over Lorient, um, where a certain Wilson Esbrand got the winner, the Englishman who's currently on loan from Manchester City, getting the winner for Reims. And um, a big win over Lorient, important for them. Russ currently sitting in fifth place. And uh, I assume in two weeks' time, Will still will be back on the bench for that one at home to PSG. Well, you have been listening to Andy Scott, Jonathan Johnson and myself, Robbie Thompson. One more plug for League1.com, the website that has it all. Twitter at League1 underscore E-N-G. And of course, the podcast, like, subscribe, sign up. Download it, listen to it, tell your friends about it. We'll be back in two weeks' time with a full wrap-up of rounds 11 and 12, looking ahead as we start to get right into the midway point of the season. After a week off, Professor Andreas Evagora will be back as well, looking into the history, the recent history of the championship. And I think we could be looking at one of the early, perhaps the first of the Qatari-era championships for Paris Saint-Germain as well. Warren Zaire Emery, we spoke a little bit about him, just how impressive he's been. We're going to find out a whole lot more about him in the next episode as well. Deja Hu will be back with another chance to win that Kevin Danzo shirt and a whole lot more. So, Andy, Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Robbie. Always a pleasure. And we will see you again very, very soon. Bye for now. Marseille have the points.